the latest headlines. He's so much better as that number two option. The insightful interviews. Michael Scotto, basketball insiders. I don't think there's an Italian sit-down between LeBron and Kyrie. The hottest takes. Teams that do run the system that Colin thrives in have starting quarterbacks. Can all be found on Press, Press Row. Row. Broadcasting as part of the Brew Sports Network. Here's your host. You can only envy being that good ever in your life. Christian Heimel. You know, there's an interesting thing that happens every year right around this time as we get towards the start of both college and NFL football season. Teams that are projected to not have great seasons start looking at the collegiate level at what players might be projected to be number one overall picks in the next year's draft. But what happens when that team puts themselves in that position where they are not projected to do well and therefore must start looking at the amateurs to see who could be there in the future? Is it called tanking or is it called rebuilding or is it simply just a way of life? Welcome on Press Row, everybody. I'm Christian Heimel. So happy to have you guys here with us once again. As always, you can subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. We are so happy to be a part of the Brew Sports Network and look forward to being with you guys here today. A lot going on in the world of the NFL as we are just a couple weeks away from actual football being played. Preseason games, of course, currently on the slate for the upcoming weekend in this past week, but This discussion of tanking, and it's really kind of centered right around the New York Jets right now, mainly because, and as I brought this up in the open, they are projected not to do well. They're in a division that is very difficult to win. You have the defending Super Bowl champs in the New England Patriots. You have a team in the Miami Dolphins who, despite Ryan Tannehill's injury, is probably going to finish second even with Jay Cutler uh, there, and there is some great familiarity with Cutler and head coach Adam Gase, who of course was his offensive coordinator in Chicago. And then you've got the Buffalo Bills, who are always hit or miss, you're not sure. But the Jets, it seems as though pretty much everybody is expecting them to finish last in the AFC East. And a lot of that is because of some moves that were made by third-year GM Mike McCagnan, Uh, and head coach Todd Bowles. They let some key guys go. Devin Harris and Eric Decker, probably the two biggest question marks about that. Obviously, guys like Nick Mangold and Brandon Marshall and some of the older veterans who may not have been worth the money that they were getting, not surprising to see them go. Uh, Geno Smith, considering their current quarterback situation, you kind of wonder if he would have been better staying there, um, or at least the Jets would have been better off if they had kept him. But again, Devin Harris and Eric Decker, the big question marks. And now they've got a very young team, a lot of rookies, a lot of young players are going to be starting. Quincy and Nunwa, arguably their best receivers, out with an injury for the entire season. And reports coming out this week that Christian Hackenberg is kicked off the field for not knowing how to break the huddle correctly. So there's a lot of misfortune going on with the New York Jets, and, and we'll touch on if they are actually tanking and how they are tanking uh, later on in the show with Brian Heyman, who covers the Jets for Newsday, as well as the Bergen Record and Jets Confidential. But listen, I uh, understand this, folks. Players don't tank. Coaches don't tank. You can't tell a player, especially a 23, 24, 25-year-old kid, to tank which in other words means to suck you can't purposely tell a you can't tell a kid to purposely play bad they're not going to do that it hurts their contract it hurts their character it's an insult to them coaches same thing it hurts their chance at future employment teams ownership tanks players and coaches do not so if the jets are doing it it's not christian hackenberg it's not josh mccown it's not jamal adams or mark may it's not Uh, you know, Todd Bowles, it's Mark McCagnan and Woody Johnson or his brother, Chris, whoever is running the show in New York. Make no mistake about that. It's not the players tanking. It's the team. Upper management has made a decision that they are not going to be good enough to win games this year. And by doing so, adjusting their roster, that way they know that in the coming year, they can find the best possible option for a chance. It's also called a rebuild. And some teams just go through this not in the same way. You look at 
teams like the Houston Astros or the Chicago Cubs in baseball, they went through rebuilds. They traded away their best players. The Chicago White Sox are doing it right now. They're trading away some of their best prospects, some of their best big name players for prospects. It's a rebuild. You go through it. It's not a purposeful tank like we saw with maybe Philadelphia, you know, but again, trust the process. And who knows this year, Philadelphia could be one of the biggest surprises in the NBA. I don't think NFL teams tank. I don't think well, players certainly don't. You looked at what Indianapolis did a few years ago when uh, Peyton Manning got injured and there was a suck for luck. Uh, they, they ended up getting what they wanted out of it, but I don't think it was a purposeful thing. It was it, They were put in that position because of the injury to Manning and because Peyton eventually moved on. So I don't think the Jets, the players, the coaches, they're not purposefully tanking. But upper management has put the team and put Todd Bowles in a pinch where their real only options don't warrant them or don't give them the best chance at victory. And that's the biggest problem. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But I don't want to spend too much time on it right now. We're going to talk again with uh, uh, Brian Heyman of Newsday, Bergen Record, and Jets Confidential a little bit later on. I want to talk a little bit happy feelings. Happy feelings, folks. We want positive energy, positivity here because we're seeing some really fun stuff right now in the world of Major League Baseball. You are seeing some great teams being uh, coming together. You're seeing some great games being played. Uh, and, and, you know, first things first, look what the Red Sox have done. A team that looked to be dead in the water at the trade deadline. They didn't really do much to come after the Yankees. It seemed as though New York was now the favorite to win it. We talked about this with Chris Smith of MassLive.com last week. He said he felt like the Yankees won the trade deadline, but we were going to see uh, on paper. Yeah, they won it. And you know what, though? The Red Sox have ruled off eight straight wins. They've got a nice cushion now in the AL East. And uh, they were doing a lot of it without Dustin Pedroia. And now Hanley Ramirez could be injured. And there's some other things that are going on. But the Red Sox look like a really dangerous team in that American League. And with the Astros seemingly struggling to put it all together just yet or continue that strong run, um, the Indians made a great move after the trade deadline yesterday. They're getting Jay Bruce, a little bit of an offensive bat, uh, to be able to help them out a little bit. So we'll see what happens there in the AL Central. And then, of course, way out west, the Dodgers playing incredibly. Last night, their 80th win uh, of the season, the first team to 80 on pace for 115, maybe even 116, which is, of course, the major league record for most wins in a season set by the Mariners a couple decades ago. There's a there's a chance, or 15 years ago, there's a chance that they could be going right at that Mariners record. It'll be really interesting to see. I'm kind of excited to see what happens. And this team is so much fun, too. If you don't like watching the Dodgers, you clearly used to have Justin Turner on your team. That's probably the main reason why you don't like watching the Dodgers, because whether it's Corey Seager, whether it's this kid Cody Bellinger, the story of this kid Kyle Farmer last week, who comes up 26-year-old, makes his major league debut, pinch hitting in the bottom of the 11th, and he ropes a game-winning two-RBI double, a walk-off in the bottom of the 11th, is his first major league at-bat. That's a lot of fun. Dave Roberts is a great guy to root for. All of this without Clayton Kershaw. Again, Hyunjun Ryu is starting to put his... Uh, pieces together, Alex Wood, Rich Hill, the addition of you Darvish was tremendous. The, the Dodgers are a lot of fun to watch right now, and they make it worth staying up late to be able to watch them on Sunday Night Baseball the last couple of weeks. It's been a lot of fun to watch them. I love it. Yasiel Puig is, is making headlines for better reasons this year than he was a year ago, which is absolutely tremendous for them. And again, guys like Justin Turner and Cody Bellinger, the rookie who is not getting enough credit, I think, as he deserves. He will win National League Rookie of the Year. Um, but, again, not getting as much attention as I think he rightfully deserves because of a guy like Aaron Judge in New York, even though Judge is starting to slow down. But, again, the Dodgers running away with that division. The wild card in the National League is a lot of fun. The Rockies are making it interesting. Arizona, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the Cubs in the NL Central are making things interesting. The Nationals, if they really start getting it figured out, are going to be a lot of fun to watch. There's some great baseball storylines going on, and they're starting to get overshadowed a little bit with college football and the NFL set to start in a couple of weeks. But make no mistake about it, folks, this is a very fun time of the year. There is great baseball being played. There are some tremendous storylines starting to develop. 
Madison Bumgarner is back for the Giants. It doesn't mean anything for them from a playoff standpoint, just from an entertainment standpoint. He makes them watchable. And if you watch them yesterday um, against the Cubs, Pablo Sandoval, who, again, was DFA'd by the Red Sox before the trade deadline. Basically, Boston paid him $50 million not to put on a Red Sox uniform. Goes and signs a minor league contract with the Giants, gets called up almost immediately, and he made a couple of plays last night that if you're a Red Sox fan, is going, thanks for you know robbing us blind and now going back and actually playing the position like you should have for a couple of years in Boston. But again, baseball is so much fun, especially in August. I know this is the time where a lot of people, the casual fans, start to tune in, but uh, baseball is definitely in a great spot right now. One of those guys who gets to watch one of those best teams in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers, like I mentioned, who just won their 80th game last night is Andy McCullough. Dodgers writer for the LA times was in New York with the team this past weekend when they swept the Mets and on the road in Phoenix. Andy, how's the trip from New York to Arizona? Um, I connected through Denver. Uh, I slept through most of both flights, so I guess it was fine. I got here. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about how the Dodgers got here because it was kind of a rocky start for for L.A., but these last few months, they have certainly played like the best team in baseball. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they got off to a bit of a slow start. I think in the first few uh, weeks of the year, they weren't playing particularly great. Um, they called up Cody Bellinger in, uh, you know, in, in late April. They were uh, 9-11 and 11 at that point, and they've kind of, you know, gone nuts since then. They've won 70 games since then. Um, you know, they're just they're playing at a – at a really sort of ridiculous clip, um, you know, on pace to win 115 right now, uh, which has you know only been done twice more than uh, more than that twice in baseball history, I believe. And uh, you know, the Seattle Mariners obviously did in 2001. The '98 Yankees won 114 games. So um, you know, they're a real uh, they're in historic territory right now, and uh, it's just a it's a really elite team. Um, you know, playing at a time when the league is a bit down, uh, it seems like, you know, there's a lot of weak clubs around the sport and they just have, you know, so much more talent, I guess, than pretty much everyone they play on a nightly basis. You talk about all the talent they have. Take me back just before the trade deadline. It seems like they didn't need to make a move, but on deadline day, they go and they get you Darvish. How did that materialize and how much did Clayton Kershaw's injury have to play in it? Now, they say that Kershaw's injury didn't uh, affect them, you know, because they were in on Darvish, I guess, in the week before that, uh, that Kershaw got hurt. But obviously, you know, um, you know, we're not stupid. We know that it, it played some sort of factor, you know, in, uh, in sort of incentivizing them to go after Darvish. Um, you know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense from the, you know, just basically the, the level of, you know, you, you want to have – uh, as many quality starters in your organization as you can, and you want to have guys you can trust around playoff time. And I think they felt um, that Darvish would be a significant upgrade over the guys they had in that number four spot. You know, Brandon McCarthy, um, Hunjin Ryu, uh, Kent Maeda. I think they felt that you know Darvish would be a significant upgrade over those guys, and it would be worthwhile to go after them. So you know, they've been talking with Texas for weeks, and they were able to you know put together a deal, I guess, at the last minute in the last you know, 15 minutes or so, um, just to beat the deadline. And you know, they bring in a guy who. You know, has more upside than pretty much anyone who got traded. Uh, at, you know, at the deadline, you can argue maybe Sonny Gray has more value just because he's under contract for longer. But Darvish is an elite, elite pitcher, a guy who's had a, a you know a ton of success and um, a guy who makes life a lot easier for you know really the rest of the staff. You know, they're they're hopefully um, not going to have to use Clayton Kershaw on short rest in the first round. Um, you know, which will prevent him from maybe you know getting worn out in the you know in the second round if they get there, which is they feel like may have happened in some years. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it has a lot of benefits bringing a guy like that on. How is Kershaw and what can we expect from him in the last few weeks of the season? Uh, I mean, he's believed to be alive. Uh, I know I've seen him in, uh, you know, in a week or so. He didn't travel with the team to, um, Air, or, excuse me, to uh, Atlanta and New York, but he's supposed to be with the team uh, uh, in Phoenix. So we'll get an update then. But, you know, from everything I've heard, um, you know, from people around the team, he's, he's making progress in his rehab from that back strain. Um, you know, he wants to, you know, he's pushing to, you know, to move forward in the process. I think they're trying to hold back on the reins a little bit to avoid, you know, any sort of unnecessary setbacks. But uh, for everything I've heard, he's, he's doing okay. You know, it's never encouraging, I guess, to have a back injury. But, you know, they, they've said there's no structural damage. They said that, you know, he's feeling fine and he should be able to come back in either, you know, late August, uh, early September and make a couple starts and be ready for, you know, game one of the NLDS. 
He's Andy McCullough, Dodgers reporter for the LA Times. Uh, spending the last 10 years in New York like I have, I firmly believe in East Coast bias. I personally don't think the Dodgers are getting enough uh, headlines as they should across the country, especially guys like Cody Bellinger, uh, Yasiel Puig, as well as Justin Turner. Are you getting that sense at all in the clubhouse with this team? I think they have a pretty big national spotlight on them. Uh, they, they get a lot of attention. You know, they've been on Sunday Night Baseball the last two weekends. Um, you know, Bellinger has been on SportsCenter, you know, countless times doing different sorts of stuff. So I, I think they get uh, a lot of attention. And, you know, it's not like the players are sitting around like, oh, man, it stinks that Cody's not on TV that much. You know, these guys don't care. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't really um, buy that premise, I guess. There's so much talent on this team as we've already touched on. Cody Bellinger, Corey Sager, Justin Turner, um, Clayton Kershaw when he gets back, all the pitching staff, Yasiel Puig. But what happens when Adrian Gonzalez comes back off the disabled list? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a big thing facing in these last couple months along with just, you know, kind of how Kershaw comes back from uh, his injury. And I think really it's going to be dictated by how Gonzalez plays during the final, you know, month or so of the season. I mean, if he hits, you know, he'll be in the lineup. Yeah, I, I don't think it's particularly complicated. You know, he's uh, he's not far removed. I mean, last summer he had, you know, an 800 OPS for, you know, for most of the year heading into September before he kind of he tanked and, you know, sort of ran out of gas. But, you know, if he can produce like an 800 OPS or so, uh, especially against, you know, right-handed pitching, I mean, that's the guy you want in your lineup. And I think they'll find a way to make room for him. You know, this is where it benefits that they have guys who can play different positions. So, Bellinger can go to the outfield. Um, you know, Chris Taylor can go to second base. Uh, you know, they can, you know, bench Jock Peterson. Maybe if they're feeling like, you know, they're not getting the at-bats they want out of him, they can, you know, move Logan Forsyth to the bench. So I think, you know, it's complicated, but it's just a matter of whether or not Gonzalez hits. If he's hitting, he'll play. If he's not hitting, then, you know, he'll be competing with Andre Ethier to be one of the guys off the bench, you know, to pinch hit in, uh, in big spots in the postseason. Seems as though they're going to run away with their fifth straight division title, but as we know, October hasn't exactly been kind uh, to this Dodgers squad. They've made the NLCS a couple of years uh, over these last four, but what's different about this team than the previous years? Um, you know, they have, uh, they have Hugh Darvish, they have Chris Taylor, who's having an incredible season. Um, you know, but other than that, they have Cody Bellinger, obviously, but you know, other than that, look, it's the same cast that has been around for, for most of these years. And it's just about, you know, when they get into the big leverage spots, season to coming through. I mean, they, you know, they hung with the Cubs for six games last year in the NLCS, you know, they gave the Cubs a, you know, a decent challenge, but, um, you know, they didn't have, they didn't play particularly well in the last three games of the series. And the Cubs are not an easy team to beat when you're playing poorly. So, um, I don't know. I mean, they're just going to have to play better in the postseason. It's not that complicated. You know, they have more talent than everyone. They don't really have a significant weakness. It's just about, you know, when you get into leverage spots, you know, to, um, you know, to come through. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, 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 uh, it's not like they're doing something wrong in the postseason. They're just not playing well enough. What's the biggest change you've seen in a guy like Yasiel Puig, who at this time last year was sitting in AAA? Um. You know, I think they've found a way to sort of uh, put Puig in a spot where uh, there's not much pressure on him. You know, he's not asked to carry the lineup. He's not asked to, um, you know, really do he, – he's not, you know, batting in the middle of the lineup. He's not asked to, you know, to be their offensive sort of centerpiece the way that maybe they had thought about in years past. and. So, you know, he's grown up a little bit. He's a little more mature. You know, he's, uh, I think his teammates have gotten more used to, you know, some of the quirks and stuff that, uh, that may have irritated them in the past. And, you know, he, he's playing well. I mean, he's hitting for power, which is something that, you know, he struggled to do a little bit last year. He's hitting fastballs better, you know, so he's, his swing is uh, a little more consistent. And, you know, he's having a nice year. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, it's a, it was a bit of a surprise for me when it seemed like they were going to bring him back as the, you know, the everyday right fielder. But, you know, he's rewarded them for their faith, and he's you know, having a decent year. I mean, a lot of people are talking about him maybe winning the gold glove and right. He's played, uh, he's played really good defense, so, you know, he's certainly uh, a worthy candidate. And, you know, he's hit a career-high 21 homers. So it's, uh, it's been a nice season for him, for sure. 
He's Andy McCullough, Dodgers reporter for the LA Times. Uh, one of my favorite things uh, I've, I've come to know with you uh, getting to read some of your stuff is your mailbag covers the gamut. It's not just baseball. My favorite one from your past mailbag is your take on Jinder Mahal and Brock Lesnar coming up here this month in WWE. What are some of those things outside of baseball that kind of make things a little bit interesting for you? Um, you know, I like I do like watching wrestling. Uh, I like to uh, pick poker a decent amount. Uh, I like both the music, so... Um, I try to have a bit of a life outside of baseball, but, uh, you know, it's, it's fairly boring and standard, I would say. Yeah, I think you and I are both going to be on the same page here if Brock does end up uh, leaving the WWE and going after that super fight with John Jones, which it seems as though John also wants. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Look, I mean, Brock doesn't really love the business. You know, he's a, uh, you know, he's in it to make money, and that's fine. You know, I, you know, I can't really begrudge him that. He's, he's done a... He's done a great job making himself money in the last few years since he came back, and so um, you know I, I'm I don't I, you know I'm not one of these guys who think he owes it to anyone to you know to do the things that I want him to do. Um, you know that said, I'm, I'm just kind of disappointed. I think they had something really special with him when he had the title in uh, in 2015. I want to say uh, when he wrestled Reigns as the, as the main event. I thought they had really built him up into something special. And uh, they never really paid that off in a way that uh, that felt worthy of the of the, um, the buildup. So uh, you know, it's, it's but you know, I, I I'm I'm glad that it seems like he's uh, you know he's extracting as much money from the business as he can. You know, he's earned that right. Andy McCullough, Dodgers reporter for the LA Times. I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the season there out in LA. Yep. Thanks. Have a good one. That's uh, Andy McCullough, Dodgers beat writer for the Los Angeles Times, and. Uh, I, I love guys who do mailbags, and and uh, and he's one of those ones. It's 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 not always about sports. It's always about something you know. It can be about other stuff that just kind of brings a human element to the guy, and also maybe a little bit to the players that he covers. So does great work for the Dodgers. And again, I mean, listen, I know he doesn't think that there there's an East Coast bias at least with this team that they are getting enough national attention. I don't think they are just because. There are so many great storylines on that team that should be elsewhere. I mean, Justin Turner is such a tremendous player. He's probably playing a Hall of Fame career in a Dodgers uniform, um, which is amazing. Cody Bellinger, I think, is I think Cody Bellinger right now is one of those top five young players in the game right now and should be marketed as such. Uh, again, you know, whether it's Corey Seager, whether it's Turner, Bellinger, when Kershaw comes back, the addition of Hugh Darvish. There's so much going on with the Dodgers. Their manager, Dave Roberts, who I just absolutely love. There's so much going on there that if you're not watching them, you're you're really missing out. You're missing out on something a lot that's a lot of fun. Um, and and again, he he's got a front row seat to it, and I'm I'm a little jealous of him getting a chance to watch that. Uh, I mentioned Andy's mailbag. We do our own here. You guys get a chance to ask a couple of questions here on press row which again you guys can always uh subscribe rate and review on itunes appreciate your support appreciate your questions as well let's get it all started off here in just a little bit one of our uh weekly guys is brandon of course asking uh what's up with the miami dolphins and is alabama going to continue to be the dominant force in the ncaa this season i'll start off with miami because that's an easy one it's it's a no-brainer that's the right move for them to sign jay cutler um you know, the rumor was that they even looked at Tim Tebow uh, before Cutler, but um, you know, Jay, yeah, he missed 11 games last year, but he knows Adam Gase, the head coach. Uh, he's the right fit for them for the offense that Gase is going to try to run in his first year. Uh, and I, I think th- what's amazing is that the contract could be worth $13 million uh, with incentives when all is said and done. It's one year, 10 million guaranteed. So, I think it's the right move for Miami. Um, when it comes to Alabama, I, I really don't I don't know if they're they are the dominant force. I mean, look at them, you know, the last couple of years. I mean, yeah, they, they played great a couple of years ago against the Sean Watson and Clemson. But last year they got to him. Um, you can never count out Alabama. I, I think it's hilarious when, um, you know, Jimbo Fisher and others try to say in the in the ACC and Dabo Sweeney try to say that the ACC is now the premier conference. Um, or they have the premier team, whatever it is. Look, the football is right now, at least college football is Nick Saban and Alabama. Um, nothing against Jimbo Fisher, nothing against Dabo Sweeney. Those guys are tremendous coaches, but as of right now, it is Alabama. Um, so I do see them as being obviously right there at the top and I'm, I'm pumped for opening weekend when it's Alabama, 
against Florida State, probably two of the best teams that you are going to see this year, maybe even a national championship preview, which would be really, really scary to think of. Um, I still think that so much needs to be done via the um, you know NCAA playoff format. I think there's still things that need to be done. I think it needs to expand a little bit more, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens for now. All I know is that Alabama is going to be great again. Florida State is going to be great. These two teams are going to be playing each other very, very soon, and it is going to be an insane thing to look at. If you look at the the, the standings or the rankings, I should say, as it is, USA Today, uh, Alabama has them have them ranked number one. Ohio State, Florida State, USC, and Clemson; those are your top five. Um, I can't disagree i think ohio state's going to be tremendous once again urban meyer another talented coach another great program Uh, obviously we mentioned florida state and clemson usc is going to be kind of interesting i'm i'm excited to watch usc because there's so much hype behind the sam darnold kid and uh if he's going to end up being the number one overall pick um there's still a great talent over in la in in uh, josh rosen at ucla but we'll see what happens there and you never know what happens. I mean, teams like um, a Louisville could surprise people. Um, you know, Louisville had some interesting guys last year. They had uh, a couple of people that, you know, like Lamar Jackson, Heisman Trophy candidate, who, uh, Heisman Trophy winner, excuse me. Um, maybe, maybe Louisville scares, uh, you know, catches some people. Who knows? Maybe this is the year that uh, Dana Holmgren in West Virginia figures it out. And actually get something going. Who knows? Um, but as as far as I'm concerned, when everything tips off and kicks off in a couple of weeks, it's going to be Alabama at the top and everybody else just kind of looking up. We'll see exactly what happens there. Um, another one from Jaden. Who wins the MAC this year? Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. Uh, talking uh, college basketball. A little early to talk college basketball, to be honest. And, and Jaden knows uh, I spent the last six years uh, as the play-by-play man for the Manhattan Jaspers. I do like Manhattan this year, uh, mainly because they bring so much back and because of how much talent left the Mac. I think the Mac, unfortunately, may have a down year just because there aren't any marquee names anymore. Um, You know, guys like AJ English for Iona are gone. Guys like um, Justin Robinson uh, for Monmouth, Brett Bisbing for Siena, they're gone. Um, So we'll wait and see what happens. Uh, Quinnipiac with a new head coach is going to be difficult, but I think Right. You have to almost give it the edge to Iona just because they're the two time defending champs. But I think Manhattan is is right there, if not uh, ahead of the Gales a little bit in there. It's going to be those two rivals once again, unless unless, uh, you know, King Rice figures something out down in Monmouth. So we'll wait and see what happens there. Uh, And then finally, uh, John's asking, is it ever okay to take a season off from your team? asking for a sad Jets fan who has a paper bag stuck on his head. Um, first things first, uh, no, as, as much as I would love to tell you, it is okay to take a year off from your team. You you can't claim to be uh, the fan, a diehard fan, if you take a year off. Um, can you subs- reside yourself to the fact that you know things are going to be bad and, you know, Yes, absolutely. You can 100% accept what is your fate, and the Jets' fate this year does not look good. You can accept it, but you the best part about fandom is, is optimism, is hope. That's the best part about sports is every team we root for has hope. Listen, uh, I grew up a, a Celtics fan, and, and I used to have an Antoine Walker Celtics jersey, but you know what? When the Celtics were, were bad, I'll, I'll even admit it, as much as I didn't really pay attention much, and I kind of fell out of love with the NBA um, you know, early on, uh, as much as I may not have cared much about the Celtics, I still followed them a little bit. Um, I grew to love and respect teams like the San Antonio Spurs, of course, like Michael Jordan's Bulls. Um, but that doesn't mean you, you change fans or you just stop paying attention um, for a long time. And, and again, as we, we touched on at the top of the show with the Jets, listen, the players aren't tanking. Todd Bowles isn't tanking. It's Mike McCagnan and Woody Johnson. They are tanking. But I don't know if we should be calling it that. We should be calling it rebuilding. They have made a conscious effort to go young this year, force these kids to learn, force these kids to play as a cohesive unit, to take their bumps, take their bruises, and they get a couple of wins, great. If they don't, you know, you you got your number one overall pick and you got a chance at a franchise quarterback. But this is the year, and it's a little bit too late in my opinion because you've now wasted – 
you know, four years on Bryce Petty, three on Christian Hackenberg, where you haven't figured out if these are guys for the future yet. And you want to bring in a 38 year old to, to try and, and be your future, or at least be the stopgap before that. I don't know what their issue is with the Jets. And if you really, really wanted someone and you were trying to win, you would have brought in Colin Kaepernick, in my opinion, because he's better than all three of those guys that I mentioned. But clearly, I think what Mike McCagnan and Woody Johnson or Chris Johnson or whoever's running the show said was, listen, let's get rid of some of these hefty contracts. Let's save our salary cap for free agency next year. And let's see what this group can do and who can be in it for the long haul when we go out and get our franchise quarterback, whether it be Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, um, or any number of others, Lamar Jackson, um, number of other, you know any any other number one. Maybe there's a defensive end, uh, you know Derwin James at, at at Florida. Maybe they go out and they get a defensive back. Who knows? Even though they drafted two of them this year in Jamal Adams and Mark May. But um, listen, the idea of tanking. Uh, it's never the players. The folks who are on the field aren't tanking. It's the ones who are up in the suites, the ones who are signing the checks. They're doing it. So as much as you may hate it now, grit your teeth and bear it because the future is incredibly bright. I love how young the Jets are. Um, the only question is, is, you know, are, is ownership willing to keep Todd Bowles in place to see this rebuild through? That's the biggest question because you can't go through this draft. Let's say, let's say the Jets go through the, the number one overall pick next year. They draft Sam Darnold at USC, and then at, they have one year with him. He doesn't do as well as they want. Maybe they go seven nine. Maybe they go five and eleven, and they fire Todd Bowles. Now you've got a kid in his second year in the NFL in a new system with a new coach, and you're back where you were with Mark Sanchez and Rex Ryan. Um, trying to change things instead of just sticking with the system. I thought the Jets had a great thing going when it was ground and pound and they actually ran the ball. And then somewhere along the line, they got into this idea that Mark Sanchez should be winning games with his arm. Nope. Nope. That was the issue. But you went to -to back-to-back AFC title games with that combination. And I don't know. But it's it's not okay to take a season off from your team uh, just because it's, it's, it's not about the end goal. It's the journey. Remember that when the Jets win a championship for the first time since Broadway Joe in five decades ago, you're going to sit there and go, we went through all of this and it was worth it. Look at the Chicago Cubs. Look at Cleveland, the city of Cleveland with the Cavaliers. Sure. They would love to have the Browns. Sure. They would love to have had the Indians win. You know, look at the Red Sox in, in 2004 or the giants, the San Francisco giants when they won. And it was the first championship since they had moved from New York. It, it's it's the suffering is what makes the joy that much more fun. So it's going to suck this year. I, I won't lie to you. It's going to be tough. But when you're able to really enjoy it over the next couple of seasons with maybe a franchise quarterback, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. So. With that, let's bring in Brian Heyman. He is a Jets reporter for Newsday as well as the Bergen Record and Jets Confidential. And Brian, we were uh, talking about it a little bit earlier in the show. So I'll just ask you straight out, uh, are the Jets tanking this year? Well, that is a very good question. And I will say uh, yes and no. Yes, uh, you know, I believe the, uh, the front office, if they do not win a lot of games, it's you know, it's going to be okay. I think they have a long-term vision now where they're redoing this. It's kind of a, you know, a reboot. They just broke everything down, got rid of a lot of the, uh, you know, over 30 players and the high priced players and they're, they're going young. So, uh, from a front office perspective, you know, tanking, rebuilding, it's kind of this, uh, you know, at the beginning stages here of, of doing that. But, you know, when you look at it from the coach's perspective, Todd Bowles in his third year, uh, he's not tanking. He, he wants to win. He wants to make the playoffs. I don't think he has the talent uh, or the experience level here to do that. But, uh, and, you know, you never know as far as his job security. So he's not, he's not thinking about losing that. I can tell you that. And the players, you mentioned that tanking word, and they're extremely sensitive to that. They're, you know, they're not playing to lose either. Um, 
you know, as they get further into the season and as if the expected losses pile up, uh, you, you'll wonder about uh, if they'll be able to uh, sustain the, the effort level. But right now they're, they're all in and, they're, you know, it's like it's like spring training. Everyone has a chance uh, to win the World Series and everyone has a chance to, you know, here to, you know, go to the playoffs. But, uh, you know, I it, it you know, it's kind of shaping up as, uh, you know, a rebuilding season for the Jets. It's kind of interesting to hear how players or coaches react when you ask them if they're tanking. But I was really intrigued at what Roger Goodell, the commissioner, said when he basically said that teams don't tank, but teams will try to make themselves better through the draft uh, by relieving themselves of the contracts of some of these veteran players. That kind of seems like a formula for tanking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think tanking is such a tank is like a four-letter word in more ways than one. When you're when you're uh, you know talking to your uh, your fan base, you know we're trying to lose. No, you you can't say that. You're charging them a lot of a lot of money. But yeah, it's a, it, when you're when you've just broke kind of broke, you're coming off a five-win season, uh, which was coming off a near playoff season for the Jets. They just blew it in that that final game uh, against. Buffalo. So, you know, I think they could see that, you know, it was time. It's the third year of this regime with Mike McCagan and the GM and Todd Bowles. And I think they could see that it was time to kind of, you know, redo this and, uh, you know, you know, try to try to build through the draft. They've, they've tried the other way. They've tried the splashy moves and, you know, it didn't work out. And, you know, they're still waiting for their first Super Bowl appearance since January uh, 12, 1969, which seems like a long time ago. So, uh, so yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of, uh, you know, starting over with a, with uh, a lot of young players and, uh, you know, the thing is that your most important position is is quarterback, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of questions, let's say, at that position. Well, you brought it up, so let's talk about the quarterback position and Christian Hackenberg, who's been getting a lot of flack uh, since the Jets drafted him a couple of years ago, most recently being thrown off the field for not being able to break the huddle right. But as you were telling me earlier this week, this isn't the first time that's happened with the Jets. Uh, no, that actually happened uh, last week with Bryce Petty. Um, you know, Todd Bowles and the staff, they want you, as Petty put it to us at a scrimmage at MetLife Stadium uh, on Saturday, he wants them to break the uh, huddle with intent and purpose and not have a, a lackluster uh, feeling, uh, you know, clap your hands and get out of the huddle, you know, slowly. And so uh, what happened last week at practice was that uh, it didn't, you know, huddle dysfunction uh, coming out of the huddle and uh, Bowles made Petty and the entire third unit run a lap around the field as punishment. And then, you know, the, it, it, with Hackenberg, uh, again, there was, they didn't come out of the huddle correctly. And, uh, and uh, I think it might've been on two occasions actually in a row. So, uh, you know, he just lost his turn. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And they sent the next quarterback uh, up to, up to, uh, you know, get in and get in there. Um, but you know, it's it's you know you have two uh, two of the three quarterbacks who are you know trying to uh, gain ground here are projects. So you have Bryce Petty, the third year out of uh, Baylor, a very simple system for a quarterback coming into a very complex system in the NFL, and uh, you know he's been really running with the third string and it doesn't really seem they're high on him as a starter, even though, you know, he went one and three last year when he uh, finally uh, replaced Ryan Fitzpatrick. But uh, um, Josh McCown, who's the veteran in the mix, 38-year-old journeyman, he's gotten twice as many reps uh, in the first nine practices as uh, Bryce Petty has. So it's, McCown has been mostly running with the first team, and Hackenberg has been mostly running with the second team, and uh, Christian is, again, uh, a big project. Uh, he was good early at Penn State, and then they, you know they changed uh, coaching staff and changed system, and it didn't didn't really go well. And his accuracy and footwork came into question. And the Jets, you know, were really ripped for using a second round pick on him. Uh, you know, he looks the part. He's big. He's got a great arm. 
But, you know, there's been a million quarterbacks that looked the part, and, you know, they he's made progress, I will say that. Um, uh, watching him in the scrimmage, he had a, a, kind of a growth moment where he's under pressure, he steps up in the pocket, and he threw a 25-yard uh, touchdown pass. But then you, you look at, uh, you know, getting the huddle situation the other day, and then um, in his the previous practice, uh, or the, the last the practice, um, again, after that, he was just 4-12, and he threw his – two interceptions and uh they were kind of not not like throwing into double coverage and he was four of 12 in that practice against the jets defense so you know he's a very much a work in progress but they need you know even if mccown who's not your future uh starts the season as the quarterback they need to look at hackenberg and evaluate him in actual game situations he didn't play last year in the regular season and then decide whether they need to spend a high draft pick on one of the uh quarterbacks who are coming out he's brian Heyman covers the jets for the bergen record newsday as well as jets confidential and you mentioned the future it, it seems as though despite what this year may hold Considering how young this Jets team is outside of Josh McCown, you look at the defensive backfield, you look at their wide receiving core, looks like there's some optimism here for Gang Green. Yeah, I think, you know, especially defensively, um, you know, they have uh, they have a few pieces uh, on defense. They need more, need more pieces, but you're right. With the, with this, They drafted safeties in the first and second round, and people were kind of like, why would you spend your first two picks? Uh, maybe the first one, yes, but the, the first two on a safety. But, you know, the second guy from Florida, Marcus May, has actually looked great in camp so far. Um, at the scrimmage at MetLife, he had, a, you know, returned a uh, interception for a touchdown. Uh, he he said he's actually done that twice in four days in, in practices, and he hits everything uh, when they're allowed to hit. He's a, he's a big hitter, so he has looked, uh, you know, kind of beyond a rookie so far. But and uh, Jamal Adams, a sixth overall pick in the draft. I mean, I think people are pretty high on him as well. So I mean, I think those those look like a couple of good pieces. Uh, Leonard Williams. Um, you know, he was a first-round pick who fell to them. I think a sixth overall pick, uh, and uh, you know, he looks like a uh, you know a good piece on the uh, defensive line. And you know, they had they drafted last year. They drafted Darren, uh, the linebacker Darren Lee, um, and uh, you know, he has a lot of speed. So uh, and he feels uh, you know kind of more comfortable uh, this year. So they they do have some pieces there on offense. You know it's it's hard to it's hard to say what they have at receiver now. They you know Quincy Noon was out for the season. Uh, he hurt his uh, hurt his neck uh, at, in, during the during the scrimmage as a bulging disc. Uh, he's going to take six to nine months to recover. So Robbie Anderson, who's a very fast guy, who kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, well, he came out of Temple, but he came out of nowhere last season. Um, uh, he's you know suddenly he becomes a number one receiver. And uh, the other guys are very inexperienced and unproven. Um, so that, you know, I think that also can hurt the you know quarterback play if, uh, you know, your receivers are inexperienced. Um, they have a, a guy in his third year named Chris Harper, a receiver uh, who played for the Patriots. And then last year was the 49ers. He's looked very good in training camp, but, you know, they haven't played any preseason games yet. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, there are some pieces, but there are, they need a lot, a lot more pieces. The Jets over the last couple of years have seemingly had to play a little brother in New York to the Giants. This uh, Sheldon Richardson, Brandon Marshall feud, not really helping that at all, is it? Uh, no, no. Uh, and you know, Todd Bowles was really so angry, uh, at Richardson went after Marshall uh, again, uh, in a, you know, radio interview. And, uh, he thought that they, uh, that Richardson kind of, and had kind of put this to, uh, you know, bed <laughs> when he reported training camp. Um, and those two guys did not get along last season, let's put it that way. And then uh, during this interview, you know, he called uh, Marshall kind of a drama queen and he said he quit on the team last uh, season. And there was no, you know, he, he's, you know, Sheldon really doesn't seem at times to have a filter. You know, <laughs> you don't always want to say every thought that comes into your head. Uh, and uh, it just uh, creates a distraction, especially here in New York. Uh, every little thing is, you know, blown up 
extremely high. And uh, Anna Marshall hasn't really been striking back, and he's kind of moved on to the Giants. And uh, it's just like, you know, they, they Bowles did not like the line of questioning about it, but uh, uh, he needed to be questioned about it because Richardson brought it up. And, uh, and Richardson's another guy who's a talented guy, um, but his future is very much in question. They've tried to trade him. They've had no luck getting what they would want for him, and he's uh, coming to the end of his contract, and it's hard to say whether they're going to retain him or, they're going to look at uh, Mohammed Wilkerson, who's coming off a down year after they gave him a lot of money, uh, and uh, you know try to decide who they're going to keep along that line. Will it be Richardson? Will they let Wilkerson go after this year if he has another down year? Uh, you know, it's hard to say with what, what's going to happen in that situation. You would think that the defensive line would be one of their strengths. Uh, with Richardson, Wilkerson, and uh, Leonard Williams, and even Steve McClendon to a lesser extent, but it was supposed to be a strength last year, and it didn't work out that way. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Brian Heyman, Jets reporter for Jets Confidential, Newsday, and Bergen Record. I'll leave you with this. Uh, whether it's a rebuild or a tank, it's, it's going to be a rough year for New York. Does it have any impact on the future of Todd Bowles or Mike McCagnan? You know, that, that's that's a uh, very good question. Um, you know, I, I think Woody Johnson, the owner, who's also now the ambassador to uh, United Kingdom and has put his uh, his brother Christopher in charge, but I think, you know, uh, things will be run by him, uh, run by Woody, uh, if there's a big decision to be made. I think he knows that this – he knows what's going on. I mean, they're, they're, they're rebuilding. They're not – you know, the odds are maybe they'll surprise some people, but the odds are they're not going to have a good record this year. Um, you would think that uh, McCagnan will be uh, okay. Uh, Todd Bowles, you know, I'm not sure, uh, to be honest. I I would think that they know that, again, that this is not going to be a good record season if, if things go according to the way it's expected. Um, but, I, you know, I you know, I think one of the judgments they'll make on Bowles is if, you know, they're seeing some progress. If you know, if they put Hackenberg in, is he on the upswing? Uh, or, you know, some of these young receivers, are they developing? Or are the safeties, uh, Marcus May and Jamal Adams, are, you know, they're, they look like good prospects. Uh, they probably have a few ups and downs as they learn at a whole different level. Um, but did, did they get better as, as the season went along? So I think they'll, they'll look for progress um, as they evaluate uh, these guys. But you know, I, you know, I don't think anyone knows for sure the answer to that question. Brian, I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the preseason, and hopefully there are some uh, fun games to watch for Jets fans coming up this NFL season. Uh, that, that that would be good. I tell you, I, I I covered a lot of games last season, and just watching those games and how, you know, it was just kind of non-competitive towards the uh, towards the end of times. It was, you know, it's not fun to, for the fans to watch, not fun for the media to watch. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll hope that uh, we'll we'll hope for at least some 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 good games uh, this season. Good stuff, Brian. I appreciate it. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Christian. Once again, Brian Heyman of uh, Bergen Record, Newsday, and the Jets Confidential. Uh, happy to have him talking a little bit. Uh, it's it's going to be a tough year, and, and that's my biggest question with this whole thing, this whole rebuild tank, whatever you want to call it, it's going to happen with the Jets, is are they going to let Mike McCagnin and let Todd Bowles see this through? Because that's the biggest question. If you're going to go through this with these guys, you've got to at least let them see it through as well. Um, and I don't, I don't know, but I, I would hope so that they would, I would hope that they would allow that to happen because they owe it to the fans. They owe it to themselves as a team. They owe it to the players that they have said, you know, unofficially without actually saying it to them that, listen, it's on you guys now to at least do something and we'll make it up to you guys in the future with some, some more talent. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. I don't know what happens there. All I know is that it looks like another rough year for Gang Green uh, coming up, especially when it looks like the Giants, the you know, the New York Giants could be a team that, that competes for, for a division championship. I still think the Cowboys win the NFC East. Uh, I think it's between the Giants and the Redskins for um, who's going to get a wild card out of that division if someone does. But um, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I think it'll be interesting, and who knows what happens here. So you're on Press Row. I'm Christian Heimel. Again, once uh, 
broadcasting here on iTunes, part of the Brew Sports Network and Spreaker.com. Please subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends about it, ask questions every single week. Find me online at Chris Heimel on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at Brew Sportsnet on Facebook as well as on Twitter. Uh, a couple of other news and notes I kind of want to get to here. Uh, the PGA Championship starting off today. Uh, chance for Jordan Spieth to become the youngest player ever uh, to complete the career Grand Slam. I'm certainly rooting for him um, over there. It, it'll be fun for him. I think he's got a really good shot at it. And again, I mean, you know, if, if you love golf, if you want to see golf on the national stage again with all that publicity and fanfare, you should be rooting for Jordan Spieth. You should be rooting for Rory McIlroy. Um, you know, I'd love to see Dustin Johnson get back on track after he's had a really, really rough 2017. But, um, you know, right now it's it's got to be 100%. Um, 100%. It's got to be the, the, the Jordan Spieth bandwagon uh, if you want to see golf at that. He's, he's what it should be. So, going to be interesting. Um, you know, so it'll be fun to watch. I'm looking forward to it. Last major of the year, uh, for golf. And then for most people, golf goes away until April when it's with the masters. Once again, um, biggest thing that I saw kind of making headlines, two things. Number one is this undefeated poll about the 50 greatest African-American athletes, uh, of all time. So it's kind of interesting to note, um, a couple, you know, there were, 200 athletes that were used, uh, over 10,000 people actually polled, uh, doing more than 20 different surveys. It measured, you know, your dominance in the sport. It measured your, uh, inspiration off the field, your impact off the field as well. Um, and, and I was a little, I shouldn't say I'm surprised at the top five. I think I was more disappointed in the order um, if, in case you didn't get a chance, number five was Jesse Owens, the track star who made tremendous impacts both on and off, uh, the track, um, was a great civil rights fighter. Uh, Willie Mays, tremendous athlete, great ball player. And then here's where it got interesting to me. Muhammad Ali at number three, Jackie Robinson at number two, and then Michael Jordan at number one. I understand Michael's the greatest of all time. I understand that people call him the GOAT and think he's the best basketball player who ever lived and ever played the game, but I don't know if he was the best athlete that ever lived, especially from an African-American standpoint. First off, uh, what bothers me about this is, you know, yeah, Michael played baseball, but he struggled at it. He struggled in double A um, when, if he hadn't been gone for those two years, who knows? He could have won eight championships. Have been eight and zero in the NBA. Um, but secondly, I, and, and this is no knock against Michael. Michael's a great player. From an athlete standpoint, I I personally think Magic Johnson's a better athlete. Now, I, I always thought he was more athletic on the court. Uh, personally, yes, different eras, somewhat they they somewhat interlapped or overlapped at, at one point, but. Uh, I think we get into this aura of Michael Jordan and six and O in championships and just automatically assume he's the best at everything that he's the greatest, no matter what. And I don't think that's the case. Jackie Robinson, when you look at all he did at UCLA uh, in college before baseball, he was a track star, a football star, a basketball star and a baseball star. And he just chose baseball and how athletic he was to be able to constantly, be that guy and play so many positions. He played first base. He played in the outfield. He was able to, a lot of people thought he was going to play shortstop and take pokey or take Pee Wee Reese's uh, spot with the Brooklyn Dodgers, but he was able to go and play first base too. I mean, that that's not an easy position and to be able to play so many different sports as well. And then in my personal opinion, who I think is the greatest, the second greatest athlete of all time is Muhammad Ali. I thought Ali would have been number one on this list, followed by Jackie Robinson and, and Michael Jordan, simply because when you include this idea of impact and inspiration outside of the sport, how do you not include Muhammad Ali, who stood up for his rights, fought for what he wanted, paid the consequences, didn't fight for three years, and when he wasn't allowed to fight for three years because he spoke out against the draft. And when he came back, becomes world champ again. Jackie Robinson, breaking the color barrier in Major League Baseball. 
those impacts to me are a lot more than what Michael Jordan did from a business and a financial standpoint. Yes, he, he changed how athletes, basketball players specifically, brand themselves. But the social impact of Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali, Jesse Owens, Serena Williams, Hank Aaron, that to me is more than Michael. And, and when you talk about those type of things, even Tiger Woods to some extent, prior to all of, you know, prior to 2008, there's just something about that to be said for these athletes. And, and it's a little surprising to me that that wasn't more taken into account. And then I kind of wonder where things like, you know, Jim Brown, I wonder where they go on these lists. You know, greatest athlete, Jim Brown, I mean, one of the greatest athletes of all time with how phenomenal he was at everything. But, you look at some of the other guys on this list, Tim Duncan's 50th, Dr. J, 17th, Bill Russell, 36th, Kobe Bryant's not even on the list somehow, Kareem, Shaquille, Wilt, Steph Curry, LeBron James are already on the list. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand the list truthfully. Just because if you're including the impact that you have, Outside of your sport, how is Muhammad Ali not the greatest athlete of all time? How? I don't get it. I really, really don't. But that's just my personal opinion. Last thing I kind of want to touch on here today is, as uh, you may have seen it, Josh Rosen, the quarterback at UCLA, uh, had made some comments. They were in a interview earlier this spring uh, where he was talking about how difficult it is to be a student athlete, specifically a football player uh, in today's world, especially with the schedule and how it's basically a different take on college football and how they're being exploit exploited and how these players are, you know, basically saying football and school don't go together. Uh, and, and I don't think he's wrong here. Uh, I mean, you ask any Division one athlete. You guys have any student athlete at all? It starts in high school. If you want to excel at both school and sports, it's tiring. It's very difficult to do. You have to pick one or the other. And then, gosh forbid, you're in one of those situations where you don't get a full time, a full ride scholarship. You need to also work on the side. That's a different level. I mean, I don't think Josh Rosen's saying anything new in that. Where I have an issue with what he says is when he brings in Alabama, basically saying there's the other side. This is, this is from Josh Rosen and his um, interview he did with Bleacher Report saying human beings don't belong in school with our schedules. Football and school don't go together. Trying to do both is like trying to do full two full time jobs. There are guys who have no business in school, but they're here because this is the path to the NFL and there's no other way. He's not wrong. I mean, listen, you know, uh, NBA players can take a year off of college or they can basically go to school for four months. And then once the second semester of their freshman year hits, basically stop going to school because they're eligible for the spring and wait to get drafted. Ben Simmons did it. Ben Simmons openly admitted that he wasn't going to school, just wasn't. And he became the number one overall pick for the 76ers in baseball. You can get drafted right out of your high right out of high school. Same with soccer, same with hockey. Football, you can't do that, which you shouldn't, by the way. An 18-year-old should not be getting drafted to play in the NFL. You need time to grow your body more than anything else. It's just not healthy. But then here's where I have an issue with what Josh Rosen says. There's the other side that says the SAT eligibility requirements. Okay, raise the SAT requirement to Alabama and see what kind of team they have. You lose athletes and then the product on the field suffers. What is he saying? Is he saying that why bring in Alabama there? I get it. UCLA is probably a more prestigious academic school than, say, Alabama. But you know what? Stanford's more prestigious than than you. Dartmouth, Princeton, Yale. I, I could name a couple of uh, Northwestern. Probably more academically inclined. So what are you saying? Notre Dame? 
you calling an Alabama a dumb school? Are, are you saying that their players aren't smart enough to be in college? And the only reason they're there is because of a low SAT requirement to get into the school? It, that's I don't understand where he comes at with that. I understand that there's a lot of money being made in college sports. I understand that college athletes, specifically football and basketball players, are being exploited for the universities and the coaches and the sponsors and the boosters and the media markets that are all generating so much revenue and getting so much while these players get just a free education most of the time. And I, I do feel the players should get some sort of compensation or something. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. It's a whole Pandora's box that we can get into at a later date and we'll probably have to spend multiple shows on. But Josh, you put a big bullseye on your back here, kid, by bringing in Alabama. And I'm fine for you saying that, you know, it's, it's tough. It's hard. I get it. I understand that. But talk to any college student who's doing something else. Talk to that athletic trainer who's in pre-med and he or she's got to work with all these athletes all the time while also doing all their schooling. You know, talk to that radio kid, that newspaper kid who's got to do all his classwork and then extracurricular activity, travel and miss class and all those sort of things. Music. Go to any music student, dance student, whatever it is. If you want to do an extracurricular activity, and this is how it's been since you were in fifth grade, if you want to do it, you got to sacrifice some stuff. You know, I, I, I don't, I understand that it's, it's, it's a, a lot of coursework. I get it. But you know what? That's life. There's no need to bring in Alabama. And if you're going to make those comments, maybe offer up a solution. That's all I'm saying. No need to keep whining about it unless you're going to have a solution to it. Or at least offer one up. It may not be a good one, but give an idea. Because one idea leads to another, leads to another, which leads to a solution. So, we'll see what happens with it. Been a fun show this week. I'm glad to have you guys all here with us. Again, subscribe, rate, review, press row with Christian Heimel on iTunes as well as on Spreaker.com. Big thanks to Andy McCullough of the LA Times as well as Brian Heyman of the Bergen Record, Newsday, and Jets Confidential. Next week, Matt Creel, a good buddy of mine, will join me. We'll start our breakdown of this super fight. Mayweather-McGregor, I can't believe we're actually getting close to this. And we'll touch in a little bit more on the NFL and the NCAA football season as they get closer and closer. Until then, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Once again, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Heimel. Ask questions anytime during the week, as well as at Bruce Sportsnet on Twitter and on Facebook. And until next week, I will see you on Press Row.